Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We recap an amazing Game 7 of the OHL Championship in Hamilton. A Memorial Cup champion on the 1976 Hamilton Fin Cups joins us to reminisce about that tournament. A cool club in Hamilton that uses robotics is helping young patients across the country. Liberal and NDP supporters want either Jean Charest or Patrick Brown to lead the federal conservatives. And a Hamilton cartoonist has released a new book. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. Here are your Hamilton Bulldogs! Who let the dogs out? I knew I was due for one. The puck hasn't been bounced my way all series, so it feels good to have the puck bounce my way to it. And to have it in Game 7 and to win the series feels feels so good. Two illustrious voices there. Well, one more illustrious than the other, that is for sure. Bill Stirrup off the top. Oh, Billy was one of the best. Uh, longtime PA announcer, the Hamilton Bulldogs, launching each and every game of that iconic call. The other voice you heard there was Avery Hayes. And oh, what a night he and the Bulldogs had last night. Because for the second time in four years, the Bulldogs are the alphas of the OHL and have punched their ticket to the Memorial Cup. Avery Hayes with a hat trick. Mason McTavish had a couple of goals. Hamilton beating up on Windsor last night 6-1 to to win the OHL championship in a thrilling seven games. It all came down to the wire, and really, going into the game... Uh, in the third period, you know, it was still relatively close, and then the Hamilton Bulldogs just broke it open in that final period. Kudos to all involved, including Hamilton's Logan Morrison, playoff MVP. He had at least one point in each of Hamilton's 19 playoff games. Got my vote, that's for sure. He was phenomenal all series long, all playoff long. And... Hats off to everyone in Hamilton who came out to the game last night because you set or broke an attendance record for a modern-day OHL final. 11,779 fans turned out to First Ontario Centre last night. It was a raucous atmosphere, uh, just about the loudest I've ever heard that building. And... The dogs aren't done yet. They might be done playing at First Ontario Centre this season, but they're still playing hockey because now they're on to the Memorial Cup starting Monday, and they'll play in that opening game against the host St. John Sea Dogs. So after the game, trophy ceremony on the ice, trophies ceremony on the ice because the um, J. Ross Robertson trophy handed out to the Bulldogs, playoff MVP to Logan Morrison. Players... Uh, coaches, front office staff, everyone involved with the team celebrating on the ice. Not a chance to chat with uh, a few individuals, including the star of the show, Avery Hayes. Avery Hayes, OHL champion. How does it feel? Oh, it feels it feels great, and I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it with any other group. This group is so tight, and we all love each other so much. I can't put can't put words into it right now. When you woke up this morning, do you think you'd score a hat trick? In the clinching game. Oh, I wouldn't say that, but I knew, I knew I was due for one. The puck hasn't been bounced my way all series, so it feels good to have the puck bounce my way to, and to have it in game seven and to win the series feels feels so good. This was such an up and down series. Did you expect it? Oh, yeah. We had run-ins with the refs, injuries, everything. A lot of adversity we faced, but it's, it's nothing compared to what we've dealt with all year. So I'm proud of this group so much. I knew I knew we'd bring it home. You're off to St. John, New Brunswick for the Memorial Cup. Have you given any thought about that at all? No, we were, we were 100% focused on this series, but starting tomorrow, we're going to be dialed in on all, the, all those three teams that we're going up against. 
What do you like about this group? Uh, we're, we're so talented and so skilled, but we, we work so hard on the back check, getting back and getting under sticks and working away from the puck. You think you're successful because you can play so many different ways? Yeah, we can, we can match with any team. Physicality, speed, not speed, anything. We can, we can play with anyone. Talk about the crowd tonight. Unbelievable. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Seeing, seeing all 13,000 of these people and filling up the upper bowl is unheard of. So, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable having that behind our back. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank also you. had a chance to speak with the head coach of the Bulldogs. Jay, OHL champs, I know that was the job you intended to accomplish when you first took uh, over this team. Your thoughts now that you've done it? It's an amazing feeling. Uh, really proud of the players, the staff, everybody involved. It, it, it takes the village to accomplish something like this, and I'm just grateful to be a part of this moment right now. Did you expect this series to go seven? We didn't put expectations on any series. We wanted to play as hard as we could every night, every game. We've done that since we really solidified our systems and compete level around January. And we didn't have expectations on any series. We just played every game to win it. What was it like to win it here at home with this record-breaking crowd? Yeah, it's a fairy tale ending. Yeah, it's uh, speed, you know, no word for that. How much thought have you given to going to the Memorial Cup? How much thought have I given to it? We haven't talked about it at all. Um, you know, obviously we watch, you know, CHL TV. We watch the games out there. Of course, it's something. It's a goal. Um, but we've we've focused so much on the here and now. And and uh, now that we've achieved this, we can uh, we can look forward. What do you like about how your team played tonight? Just I, I thought the first two periods we were really clean. Didn't give up a lot. We wanted to have, you know, you watch Tampa Bay Lightning. They, they're, they're trying to three-feet. They defend games to win, and that's kind of the mindset we wanted. And I, I thought we played really clean for two periods. Didn't give up a whole lot and capitalize on our chances to, to take home the win. Congratulations. Good luck in St. John. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Phenomenal performance, fantastic results, and congratulations to the Hamilton Bulldogs, OHL champions now off to the Memorial Cup next week in St. John, New Brunswick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's an amazing feeling. Uh, really proud of the players, the staff, everybody involved. It, it, it takes the village to accomplish something like this, and I'm just grateful to be a part of this moment right now. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. That is Bulldogs head coach Jay McKee. Hamilton winning the OHL championship, beating Windsor 6-1 last night. They are off to the Memorial Cup for the first time in four years and only the fourth time ever in Hamilton's history. The last time a Hamilton hockey team won the Memorial Cup was 46 years ago, and the captain of that team joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dale McCourt, star player with the 76 Memorial Cup champion Hamilton Fin Cups. Good morning, Dale. How are you? Hey, not too bad, Rick. Nice to hear you from you. What are your greatest memories of that 76 Fin Cup squad? Uh, of the squad, um, I just heard the coach uh, have a little bit, and I, I tell you, I can uh, mirror his words uh, to a T. It takes a, a whole team uh, management, uh, owners, we had a, a, a great group in, in Hamilton. And, I mean, every player wanted to win. 
I, that was that was a big thing that really put you over the top. You guys beat the new Westminster Bruins 5-2 in the tournament final. That game was held at the old Montreal Forum. What comes to mind when you think of that game? Well, um, the first game we played them, uh, we scored a couple of power play goals, which uh, helped uh, put, us, put us ahead for that game. And we weren't sure what was going to happen um, for the final because they had to play Quebec and uh, we got a bye and they come into the game. So we weren't sure if they were going to uh, try to rough us up. But I think uh, Coach Burke Templeton looked after that. Apparently he ran into uh, Ernie Punch McLean, the coach of uh, New West, on the street. And after they had passed by, he yelled back at them that, uh, you guys might have the toughest team out west, but he said we got the toughest team in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and you showed them on that day, that is for sure. What was amazing as I was doing some research on this game is that your teammate Joe Contini had a natural hat trick in 72 seconds, which still today is a Memorial Cup record. Well, you know what? Stuff like that I don't even remember. <laughs> I mean, lots of parts of the game, when you're, when you're so intense... I mean, my parents were there, and for the fans, obviously it's something different. But when you're so involved in the game, I mean, sometimes the game passes and you don't really remember what happened. Yeah, no, I hear you. When the, yeah, when the pucks are flying and the game's on the line, you're, you're laser-focused on winning that title. And uh, you certainly did that captaining the 1976 Memorial Cup uh, Finn Cups to that Memorial Cup championship. Dale McCourt is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I'm sure you remember winning the tournament MVP and the award that went along with it. Yeah, there was uh, a year of um, McDonald's. (laughs) Uh, Got, uh, yeah, uh, McDonald's uh, got um, a CCM uh, 10-speed bike. And also, uh, probably for my parents, said the first uh, color color television they ever had. And and there's a story behind the TV. Apparently, you were uh, your parents were living in Sudbury, and you had one plug that you had to unplug the radio to plug in the TV. Is that right? <laughs> no, no, we had we had more plugs than that. <laughs> <laughs> so that must have been a joke then, because that really caught my eye. Yeah, no, I'm sure uh, some of the guys on the team used to like to uh, joke about Sudbury a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dale McCourt, our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You had 139 points that season, 55 goals, 84 assists. You did even better the following year as the Fin Cups moved to St. Catharines and then had really a phenomenal NHL career with the Detroit Red Wings, Buffalo Sabres, and finally with the Maple Leafs. Um, What would be the highlight of your career, junior or pro or otherwise? Uh, I, I think junior. The Memorial Cup uh, championship was, I mean, obviously you won the championship, but I think it was just the team uh, effect of everybody. I mean, w- nobody was making any money. It was all on, you were doing it because of your pride for yourself and your teammates, and um, that, that's, that's got to be the ultimate. Well, you represented Hamilton very well. We appreciate your time today and uh, look forward to watching the Memorial Cup with the Fin Cups in mind next week as the Bulldogs go for the title. Dale, thanks for joining us today. Okay, thanks, Rick. As Dale McCourt, captain of the 1976 Memorial Cup champion Hamilton Fin Cups. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to chat with Memorial Cup champ Mark Locken, who was the goalie on that team. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A robotics expert is helping young patients learn STEM, science, technology, engineering, math, 
at Hamilton Health Sciences' Ron Joyce Children's Health Center. The two-year-old club now meeting in person again after two years of being virtual, which is great to hear. Mike Barube is a volunteer with the Robotics Club at Ron Joyce Children's Health Center and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mike, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Doing pretty good. Uh, uh, you helped start this club uh, in 2019, just before you know all hell broke loose in our world. How did this all come about, and, and what was your inspiration? Uh, so my daughter is actually a patient, uh, patient at Ron Joyce, and uh, I just uh, volunteered to help out because I got a background in robotics. And uh, Lindsay Bray actually asked me to start up a, kind of like a robotics club. And then at the time... Drones were just uh, becoming more and more uh, of a thing in our society. And then, uh, yeah, one thing led to another. We brainstormed and we decided let's get RC cars, drones, and uh, some of the latest STEM technology into the hands of kids. From what I understand, you're an industrial electrician by trade and you have a license in mechatronics, which is what? Uh, so mechatronics is the combination of using electronics and pretty much mechanical. So it's robotics. It's anything that actually brings mechanical to life. Okay. Well, you mentioned your daughter is a member of this uh, club as well at the at the health center. How does she like it? What do, what do kids get to do? Uh, so kids get to use, uh, we modify RC cars. We modify drones. That way kids can explore the world and uh new and completely unrestricted way. We also take uh, standard STEM toys and we modify them so that any kid, it doesn't matter what their disability is, they can actually have access to it. They can play with it. We modify joysticks. Uh, We're in the process of actually using uh, virtual reality for physiotherapy and OT so that it's more of a game and it's more stimulating, more enjoying to actually use. So how do they learn about STEM through robotics? Are they, are they actually building or modifying these things? Yes. So, okay. uh, for example, uh, we use, it's called uh, Lego Robots. And we, got, we received a very generous gift through uh, the first Lego Week of Ontario. And basically, we teach the kids to, well, one example is we teach the kids to program robots and modify robots, and we purposely ask the kids questions based on what they're learning in school through math, and then we apply what they're learning, such as comparators, greater than, less than, and we teach them how to use the color sensors. So then they have a map that they actually have to compete against and use the math that they're actually using in school in a real, like, world application. Wow, so this is really putting their STEM skills to the test. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so why is this so beneficial? Why do we want these kids, these young patients, to be thinking this way? So it's all about life skills. So when these kids go forward, we want to give them as many opportunities, as many career paths as they possibly can. And even if they decide not to use it as a career path, we're opening more and more doors towards different clubs that they could use. Uh, different ways that they can explore their environments. Like, for example, kids that might be in a wheelchair, they can take modified RC cars that we put remote cameras in, and they can wear virtual goggles and explore playgrounds, fields, forests, anything that might not actually be accessible to them.
Wow, that is so cool. And it sounds like fun. And and that's one of the main things, too. If they're having fun, uh, they may not necessarily be knowing that they're learning at the same time. That's the entire goal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You also have a tech toy called Sphero Robot. Am I saying that right? Yep. So Sphero Robots are actually little polycarbonate uh, balls, and they actually have robotics in it. So I actually also... uh, basically teach coding over at my kid's school and uh we start right from kindergarten and basically we dip these things in paint and we teach the kids how to code by having these balls drive around and paint and they make abstract art and all sorts of things and then later on we'll teach them how to code where the spheros talk to each other or we actually at the kid's school not too long ago we played bocce with them so the kids actually had to program them as if they were a bocce ball Wow, I'm feeling really inadequate at this point. <laughs> I would be I would be lost in this club, Mike. Uh, you know what? Within like one or two days, the kids just pick it up and they run away. And the great thing about having these like little clubs where they're smaller clubs, we custom tailor them to any kid at any level, and that way everyone feels included. Mike Barube is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mike is uh, one of the founders of this cool robotics club at Ron Joyce Children's Health Center that's teaching young patients all about STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And it's nice to know that finally you're back in person again. This, this happened about a month ago or so uh, on Saturday mornings as you get together. How cool was uh, was it to finally get back all in person? Oh, it's amazing. Actually seeing the look on the kids' faces as they actually get their hands on the robots and like they get to collaborate with each other. It's just completely different being in person than it was virtual. It must have been pretty challenging doing the virtual thing. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a lot of thinking ahead of time of what the kids can actually do. Uh, the other problem is if kids have problems, uh, you can't just jump through the computer to actually see what they're doing on their screens. So there's a lot of limitations where being back in person, yeah, it's just a game changer. What's, uh, what are some of the best things that these kids have built, constructed, or tested? Uh, so we were working on a project, me and one of the kids uh, virtually, where uh, we were trying to get... Uh, a kid in BC able to talk through his power chair to robotics in his class all the way off in BC. So working with his OT. So basically he only has access uh, to technology through his head, not his hands. So he would use multiple head switches around him to actually control robots or control things like remote controls. Wow. So this club is helping kids across the country. Yes. That is amazing. How many kids are involved? Uh, so right now, through virtual, we had about half a dozen, and the first group that we just had in person was another half dozen. So we're hoping to open that up for fivefold throughout the summer and then just gradually build on it. It's amazing. If someone is interested in getting more information, maybe even getting their kid involved, how do they do that? If you're open to it, we can send you a flyer for your website, and... Uh, they can also contact Ron Joyce at 905-521-2100, extension 74469. Great stuff, Mike. Awesome job. Uh, congrats with this program. Best of luck going forward. 
Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. That's Mike Barube. He's a volunteer with the Robotics Club at Ron Joyce Children's Health Center, making a difference in many uh, young patients' lives as they learn all about science, technology, engineering, and math, and doing it in a cool and fun way. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. City Lab in Hamilton. You probably heard that name. Well, it's, it's marking its fifth anniversary, believe it or not. How has the program grown and what does the future hold? Well, let's ask the project manager at City Lab Hamilton, uh, Patrick Byrne. Patrick, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Let's remind our listeners first and foremost, what is City Lab all about? Absolutely. So it's a partnership between McMaster University, Mohawk College, Redeemer University, and the City of Hamilton. So we have students and staff and faculty working together on projects to help make the city a better place. That's a, a huge goal, and and yes. thing, <laughs> things have obviously happened rather nicely because this started out as a pilot project, so obviously things have worked. What has gone right? What are some of the highlights and some of the success stories that you can uh, point to? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we've seen such great collaboration between students and, and staff when working on different projects, and I can tell you some of the different outcomes here. So, they, you know, students work on a, on a range of projects, just like city staff work on uh, so many different things across the city. Students are, are working on different pieces. So uh, students have created recommend, uh, recommended policies to reduce run evictions in Hamilton. They've identified performance metrics to optimize use of Hamilton's parking lots. They've done environmental scans of existing mobile device recycling programs. So there's just a huge range of things, and we're really proud of all the great things that they've done. So do students uh, or others involved, do they pitch ideas and do they get morphed into other ideas? How does the process work? Yeah, good question. So typically our, our challenges come from city staff members themselves. So they're looking for help on things that they're working on um, that are directly related to the city's strategic plan. They share them with us and we work with our partners at all three schools to find the best fit for students who are going to be able to help them with that problem. So this is really a win-win-win. I mean, uh, this isn't costing the city a lot of money to get this kind of research uh, and information. Uh, students gain valuable uh, experience putting these projects together. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the community wins as well. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the new expectations and goals going forward? What's on the hit list? Yeah, so we're, we're, because we're, we're five years in now, we're looking at a bit of a strategic plan to come up for the next, for the next five years. Um, we're matching projects for the next semester, um, and we're sort of always in that cycle. So we'll be releasing those projects in September. We're looking for ways as well to, to get students and, and community more involved in the initial uh, planning of challenges. So not just ideas coming from city staff members, but ways that people are helping to guide that process from the beginning as well. So look, look ahead for that. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Patrick Byrne, Project Manager at City Lab Hamilton, which is celebrating its five-year anniversary. Is there a specific area that you'd like to see targeted, i.e. climate change, perhaps transportation needs in this city, knowing that the LRT is on the way, we have you know traffic congestion is always a problem. Where do you want to focus on? Yeah, those are, those are big areas for us already. Um, sustainability, peace, and climate change, we've had a number of projects on definitely transportation. We've done a number of, uh, of traffic studies, uh, bike lane assessments, different pieces to sort of understand, um, you know, how people move around better in the city. Uh, so definitely looking at, at all those areas um, and, you know, looking to build on the success of, we've had almost 160 projects in five years. So 
really trying to build on that and uh, and and create that that thematic area where we're we're making a difference. It's pretty wild. 160 projects in five years. Where would this city be without City Lab? Good question. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we, I really see the you know the value of the of the the shared partnership, right? Um, like you mentioned before, the um, money saved for you know some projects are are um, you know really making a difference in terms of how people are um, you know st- uh, staff members that would be hiring consultants are are able to go through us and find um, great uh, great work from students and give students that experience uh, without spending more money. To say the uh, last couple of years uh, have been tumultuous might be an understatement. How has the pandemic affected City Lab's impact on all those who are utilizing its services? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's been it's been a, a an interesting ride for us for sure. We've had to be really adaptable to the different needs of staff members. Um, we've tried to you know with with all the the um, staff members moving around to be redeployed to help with vaccine clinics that sort of thing. We've had to be really responsive and. And try to make sure that um, you know the, the the value that students are bringing are is able to to help move move things forward and help them to pivot. Um, so it's been interesting to see that process as everyone switched their focus uh, to to the pandemic. So we've had a lot of pandemic related projects as well. Was there an idea or a project that you know, no one really thought was going to amount to anything you know really substantial, but then really surprised you and maybe some others? Hmm. Good question. Um, you know, I, th- I think a lot of things are, are like that. They come in, you don't, you're learning about them, uh, and then and then they sort of take off on a life of their own. So one example is uh, we had some, we were working with with folks in in, in planning um, and looking at and transportation and saying, you know, we want to, it'd be nice to, have, to pilot things around uh, closing the street to cars and on King William, you know, and that seemed like a bit of a like a a, a big dream at one point. And some of our students were able to get really involved in that, that project from the beginning, have some focus group with, with all sorts of community uh, users of that street and business owners, um, all the people who would have uh, be stakeholders in that area, and really lead that conversation that sort of opened up that the possibility of that happening. And now that's a project that's, um, that's happening, is happening as a pilot over, over weekends at some point. And now there's, being, there's um, the infrastructure being built with a... Uh, with a, a gate that's going to be closing uh, that off to, to uh, for periodic closing. So things like that sort of take off in the life of their own, and then they, they continue to, to run as city staff uh, move them forward. So it's really exciting to see that sort of stuff. Very much so. Five years in, and City Lab Hamilton doing some great things. Can't wait to see what's up next. Patrick, really appreciate your time today. Good luck in the future. Thank you very much. Patrick Byrne, Project Manager, City Lab Hamilton. And, uh, yeah, as you can imagine, they've done uh, numerous community partnerships uh, through students, staff, faculty at the city and at uh, our post-secondary institutions in this community and uh, more great things, as you can hear, on the way. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Interesting survey out by Leger that says liberal and NDP supporters would prefer Jean Charest or Patrick Brown as the leader of the Conservative Party. And I say interesting because we're going to get into this with Andrew Enns. He's the executive vice president in the Winnipeg office for Leger, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Morning, Rick. I'm well. Thank you very much. I I don't think anyone is surprised to hear this results, or should we be? What do you think? Well, no, I, I think you're I think you're uh, right. I don't believe there should be a lot of surprise here. I think the um you know the general public sort of hearing about the conservative leadership 
are hearing some of the, the, the media and some of the, the, the punditry coverage that puts uh, Pierre Pauly of, uh, you know, A, as a front runner in this. And if you're a, a good liberal supporter or an NDP supporter, then you might be going for maybe someone who's not uh, not as strong as Mr. Polyev. So you could have that factor weighing in. But as well, I think you also have some of the coverage that that has had Mr. Polyev's opponents, Mr. Sheree and Mr. Brown, um, you know, challenging uh, challenging him on, on some of his positions and poly- policies that are a bit more extreme, particularly around the Freedom Convoy. And I know from Leger's previous polling, uh, Liberal supporters and NDP supporters were were not supportive whatsoever of that freedom convoy uh, activity, and I think so. You know, that's a that's a policy kind of a a, a position angle that that those uh, individuals would likely not be supporting him over uh, over somebody else. It's a real interesting dynamic because, I, I you know I I have I, I can see it both ways. You know, the federal liberals might want to face a hard right leader of the PCs because there's a distinct difference between the two sides. On the other hand, they might want a more centrist thinking leader like a Sheree or a Brown, because while there isn't a philosophical difference, they're still two different parties. Right. Did you glean anything into that in, in, in the study? Well, I, I think you're I think you're right again in the sense that uh, uh, what's probably caught a few uh, a few of the campaign organizers for the liberals in the NDP is the fact that. Uh, you know, membership numbers were turned in by the parties uh, last week, and there were some big numbers. Uh, you know, even with some work being done to clean out duplicates and things, I mean, the party's sitting at over 600 memberships, 600,000 memberships right now. And I think if you're if you're the you know the liberals, you're now in that situation where. You know, with Mr. Polyev as such a, if if indeed some of these numbers hold, with such a strong command of that party and and uh, that membership base potentially, it's a formidable um, ingredient going into an election uh, to have that size of uh, of membership that you can communicate to, you can fundraise with, you can draw upon for volunteers, and you know, sure he he is uh, you know currently. Uh, perhaps a, a little further right of center than where a lot of Canadians are, but he does start with this base and that strong figure and where the, and, and then think too, where the issues are sort of moving to Mr. Polyev for, 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 you know, long before it was fashionable was complaining about inflation and about some of the fiscal policies of the, of the Trudeau government. He's starting to look fairly, fairly right on that account when we look around us and see where inflation is and where interest rates and housing markets are going. So I, I think you're right where the where the uh, where, where campaign strategists of the liberals and the NDP are are uh, are somewhat, um, you know, uh, between uh, between a rock and a hard place, potentially with respect to their options. We're talking about an interesting new study from Leger that shows that Liberal and NDP voters would prefer Jean Chaudet or Patrick Brown as the leader of the Conservative Party. Andrew Enns is our guest. He's an executive VP out of the Winnipeg office of Leger. Roughly one-third of respondents are indifferent. 23% don't know, 8% selected, none of the above. That's rather eye-opening. Doesn't mean that they don't care who becomes the PC leader because they think that none of them are going to have a chance against Trudeau or that they think the exact opposite. 
Well, I think you, you know, first of all, let's let's remind ourselves that the poll is out of the general population of Canadians, and and obviously the the leadership race and is going to be decided by, you know, those uh, close to six hundred thousand, uh, you know, conservative members, which we capture some, but certainly not a, you know, not not all by any stretch. So, I think you've got a significant percentage of that uh, those uh, that population that's indifferent is truly. You know they don't have particular uh, you know skin in this game. Um, it's the general attitude toward politics uh, that's uh, that sort of runs in this country. And you know we saw that in in your recent provincial election, Rick, where engagement just didn't uh, wasn't wasn't the greatest. Uh, you know, so I think that uh, that factors in. I, I think though that um, uh, you know there's some of these uh, you know there's also individuals from other parties that are that are not not uh, don't care who the leader is they're they're focused on their individual andrew appreciate your time thanks for breaking down this poll with us and uh, we'll talk to you down the road excellent thank you uh, thank you for having me on rick and have a good rest of your uh, show thank you very much andrew ends executive vp out of the winnipeg office of leger which showed that 25 percent of federal liberal and ndp voters feel that shaday would make the best conservative leader 11 percent going with patrick brown only six percent opting to choose pierre poliev as the best pick you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml we're gonna think back to the winter of our pandemic that's the name of the new book that is out from hamilton cartoonist dave collier who joins us now on good morning hamilton david good morning how are you Oh, good. A little hot. But, you know, how are you? <laughs> well, I, I will get hot once I step outside. Yeah, it's a it's a scorcher. Oh. To to this book, what inspired you to put this book together? Well, actually, it was the prime minister. You know, right when everybody was kind of scared in March 2020, he said, "You know, we need our artists and dreamers." And uh, I guess like I'm as much a dreamer as anybody. I don't know if I'm that great an artist, but I got to try, right? And also, you know, when you think of the last great pandemic in 1918, there's a lot of writers, they lived through it, you know, like the Hemingways and the uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Barry Callahan. And and the only writer who wrote about it was Catherine Ann Porter. She wrote that book, Pell Horse, Pell Writer. So it's like these things can just disappear. And, and, and I just saw so much hair... So many heroes in in Hamilton, like just it's just incredible. Like nobody knew like if they were going to die or not if they went to work, but like people like went to work to feed us and and kept our buses running and everything. And I was just so impressed. I was just amazed. You know? So you saw this as uh, almost like a call to arms type thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I was in the army during the Cold War. Uh, it's like a sapper, like in the 1980s, and we always had to wear these nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons, like full-body suits with the gas mask and stuff, and we're just sweating all the time. And, you know, it's just like, you know, that passed, and, and we got through that, and, and we never had to, like, actually do it. And I guess this was our great test as well, you know, what we went through the last couple of years, especially two years ago. Like, just nobody knew. So if someone uh, opens up the winter of our pandemic and looks through all these drawings and sketches and uh, amazing artwork, what are they going to come to realize? They're going to come to realize that cartoonists are only human, right? <laughs> and I hope, you know, there's like almost everybody in Hamilton is in this book. And, uh, and if you see yourself in this book, don't get mad at me because, you know, 
cartoon. The thing about comics is that they're always a little bit wonky, and uh, you know, like even like the only the only visual representation of what it's like to have an an atom bomb dropped on your city was actually Hiroshima again. And this guy who lived through it as a kid, he, he, 30 years later, he drew a comic book about it. And even that's a little bit, you know, kind of ridiculous and stuff. So comics, part of their charm is, I guess, being a little ridiculous, right? So uh, I just hope people don't get mad when they see themselves. <laughs> I think it'll be a badge of honor to be in a book. Uh, the Winter of Our Pandemic is what the book is called. It is by David Collier, a cartoonist uh, here in Hamilton. There's 130 pages to this book. How long did it take to put together? Just actually came off the press on last Friday. So I started in March 2020. And, and uh, and some publishers said, you know, let's do it in, let's publish it in 2023. And another said, oh, 2024. My old U.S. publisher said, oh, we can do it in 2022. But, you know, we're, they, they mentioned they're going to print it in China. And I just thought, like, that, that whole, like, big supply chain stuff is, like, you know, comic books are just, you know, meant to be kind of, like, fast kind of culture, you know, like when the second world war broke out like captain america was fighting hitler like you know months later in the comic book so i I thought this book had to get out fast so a local printer did printed it and a canadian publisher out in regina took it on it's his first print book he's usually a, a digital comics publisher and and we're debuting it uh this weekend at the toronto comics arts festival so it's it's been a, an amazing piece of teamwork, and so many people in Hamilton helped to make it happen. The uh, The cover of the book is absolutely amazing. It really paints Hamilton kind of like in a, in a nutshell. It's a, I think it's the North End Skating Park. You can see the, the, the York Bridge in uh, the background. If, if what I'm putting two and two together, that's what it looks like to me at least. Uh, that, right, yeah. that, that's just a small example of what's inside the book. If someone opens to page, I don't know, 23 or 89 or 101, and they look at that particular drawing, how many hours would you put into a drawing on each specific page? Uh, honestly, like I was talking about Japanese cartoonists, they can do like 70 pages in a, in a day, and honestly, it takes me about a week to do a page now. Like, I'm pretty old to be a cartoonist, an indie cartoonist. It's like a young man's game, so yeah. The, the research and the writing and the inking and everything, but it's just, it's, it's very enjoyable. So honestly, uh, it's very, it's, I think the, the artist Laurie Anderson said that art has to be fun, entertaining, or like, you know, you learn something from your art or lucrative. It has to be two of those three things. It just can't be one. And for for sure, for me, it's fun and it's entertaining for me to do. Well, it's going to put a lot of smiles on people's faces, that is for sure. Whether they recognize themselves in the book or not, David, congratulations on uh, the winter of our pandemic. It's going to be a great book for many in this community and beyond. Appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for talking to me. You got it. Enjoy your day. Bye. That's David Collier, cartoonist. Again, the book is The Winter of Our Pandemic. You can search it out in your favorite bookstore. You can pre-order by going 
going online to sparepartspress.com. Pick it up. Support Dave. It is a wonderful initiative, and uh, it looks pretty darn cool as well. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.